Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is an old episode of a podcast I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This particular episode originally aired on November 29th, 2013, and features myself and Sean Comer as we tackle what has become a Thanksgiving tradition, uh, The Wizard of Oz. So this is us talking about the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh, it dovetails a little bit, not unsurprisingly, into the, the the other variation on that story, Wicked, for better and for worse, and you know that uh, that particular property's popularity, and some of the enduring legacy about why the Wicked Witch of the West, uh, about why the Wizard of Oz continues to kind of remain in the public consciousness and what goes on in, uh, what has gone into that, and why some of the villains that are related to that show have become so, uh, they endure the way that they do. They are enduring characters. So, before I throw it all the way to my past self, if you all would be kind enough to interact with the product a little bit, like, comment, subscribe, share, any of that that you're able to do is helpful. If you can't or won't do any of that, we have some offers for you. We will bribe you. Not about bribery here. Uh, we have some supporters of the podcast, and they're willing to help you out with stuff, such as Grammarly. For you listeners of the W2M Network, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network. Again, getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network to download Grammarly for free. If you think that's a great product, but it's not something that necessarily speaks to you, you may not need it. Here's something that everyone wants, needs, and can use. Music. Amazon Music specifically is the best music streaming service on the Internet. Covers a lot of ground, and that's a bold statement, but I will stand by it. If you would like to try the Amazon Music Unlimited setup, we can help you out. Go to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, or click the link in the description below. There's one of those for Grammarly as well. And that will give you a free 30 days of Amazon Music Unlimited. They have a, they have a library of over 70 million songs, podcasts, and other audio files. You get all of that ad-free, 30 days, for free. After that, if you want to keep it, you can start paying for it. If not, you didn't lose anything. You just got to experience... Again, the best streaming music streaming service there is. So, again, Amazon Music. Get AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. Click the link. That'll take you over there, and you can start streaming all the audio you could ever hope to get through from Amazon. Thank you very much again. With all that out of the way, let me throw it to my past self and Sean Comer talking about The Wizard of Oz. Please do enjoy the show. I'll ever need 
ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. I am your host, Robert Winfrey, and before we get into tonight's topic, I don't know if this will mean anything to all that many of you, but uh, on a serious note, thoughts and prayers need to go out to the friends and family of UFC heavyweight fighter Shane Del Rosario, who, uh, to the best of my knowledge at this moment, I don't know if he's still alive or not, he suffered a massive cardiac uh, event on Tuesday been on life support for a couple of days i understand my understanding is the family was making a decision today uh, he has no brain activity last i heard so very he is, uh, he is uh he's dead okay well condolences that's to it. the friends and family of shane del rosario then that does suck yeah that's um that's uh, that's a crying shame we could talk about how shane was really not a half bad fighter and all that and how he was obviously a tremendous athlete to do what he did at uh, the highest possible level there is you can do it in the world. But really, quite frankly, all of that means exactly dick right now because somebody who, good Lord, uh, was <laughs> roughly my age uh, is dead of something that should not kill anybody. Yeah, I agree. It's... Uh, it- it is very sad. So, again, our thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the friends and family of uh, Shane Del Rosario's. And just, you know, that really sucks. Losing family members, especially that young, is just absolutely one of the most painful things to try to deal with. So, here at Everyone Loves a Bad Gang, I'm sure in a couple of days on the 411 Ground and Pound show, we'll uh, further extend our condolences. But uh, we're not here to be completely sad on this radio show we're here to talk about bad guys and we're tackling a thanksgiving tradition i don't know how it became a tradition but it is this week in light of thanksgiving which was yesterday so uh, as far as we're recording i hope you're all enjoying some leftovers have had good experiences with family and are ready to listen to my esteemed guest and i talk about the wizard of oz Uh, you heard him talk a couple of minutes ago sean comer from the Fortress of Shawnitude, located somewhere in the great state of Arizona, is here again with us. Uh, welcome back, Sean. Thanks for coming on. Well, you pretty much killed my opening question I was going to ask. All right. Yeah, I, I was going to ask how in the world it is that the Wizard of Oz became a Thanksgiving tradition. I have no idea. It's it's one of those things that at this point is a tradition because it's a tradition. But if you were to look back at how it started, I don't know. I mean, it's like Gone with the Wind. That's another one of these Thanksgiving traditions. It's always on television, around Thanksgiving time. Everyone I know, it's just a Thanksgiving tradition. I assume some people got together and said, man, we should start playing this on Thanksgiving. I mean, for a long time, the Wizard of Oz was a, the Wizard of Oz was a Christmas tradition. It was uh, aired on television over the Christmas season, but as Christmas movies became better and I guess suppose kind of overtook that slot. They just pushed it back to October because they paid through the nose for the rights to it. Figured why not go now? And now we have again the Wizard of Oz every Thanksgiving. So I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it started, but it is now a ingrained Thanksgiving tradition, much like the Macy's Day Parade, the aforementioned Gone with the Wind, and if you're a fan of AMC the Godfather, which they they are the first two every every uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So Quality movies every Thanksgiving, folks. Good time for movies well, if you're uh quite, uh... quite frankly, I'm kind of glad it is because every year, every single year, I hate Black Friday a little bit more. I I agree with you. It's uh, you get, My views on humanity are pretty dim to begin with. Well, and, but, and uh, the thing is, it's, it's like a spreading disease, too, because then the more I... The more I hate Black Friday, the harder it is for me to enjoy things. And in addition, the harder it is after Black Friday for me to really continue to enjoy the Christmas season. Because there's always that lingering reminder, and pardon me for being blunt and a little bit cynical, of what a bunch of bags of dicks people can be at times. Why can be at times? I, I Personally, my blanket statement tends to be we are. I mean, I mean it's... <laughs> Look, I, I feel that whoever wrote the line in the movie The Matrix about humanity being like a virus was really onto something. I think they were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, especially this year, we had this whole big uproar coming into it about 
people becoming progressively more and more jaded and really, really resentful about the fact that stores even bother opening on Thanksgiving Day, which kind of puzzles me because this really isn't anything new. I mean, they opened Thanksgiving night last year too, folks. Yeah, I, yeah I, hey, a couple of years ago I worked Thanksgiving. I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've worked Thanksgiving a number of times over the years at a number of different jobs. Um, that's that's not one of those holidays that I think is an automatic day off, I feel, for me at least. No, it, I mean, it should be, but it's really not. Uh, but then this year, if you've been following the news all day, this is the ugliest year for reports of the sheer violence at Black Friday sales that I can remember in, in quite a long time. Um, and it, kind of in the same vein as what you said about our, our thoughts and prayers going out to Shane Del Rosario. Uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to the Long Island, New York Walmart worker who was trampled to death in the early hours of this morning as people literally tore the, tore the doors off the hinges at a store to get in there because I guess they felt they just weren't unlocking the doors fast enough. And as people tried to clear this this poor 34-year-old man out, everybody just kept right on shopping. Uh, like I joked about on Facebook yesterday, they turned it into their own little personal battle of fucking Isengard. With, yeah, it's... With $20 off TV that's safe. So, I mean, to that, to that poor man's family, who really shouldn't have, sort of shouldn't have even been open that early anyway in the first place, let's be clear, but who became the victim of just unconscionable criminal negligence and also just the the greedy mob mentality that humanity decides to adopt at this time of year. My uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to your family because this is uh, this is beyond sense. This is why I become an absolute hermit for 24 hours the day after Thanksgiving. I don't leave the I don't leave the house except to maybe walk about a block away to go pick up some food if I feel like it. I don't dare burden somebody by asking them to deliver food. Yeah, I, I'm just a hermit 90% of the time anyway. So what? 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 When did? And I realize that it's ironic that I'm asking this show this on a show called <laughs> Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. By all means. When, when did the simple commandment "Don't be a dick" become so become so unpleasant for people to follow? You know, as far as this goes, and I, I want to move on into our regularly scheduled topic, but uh, another movie line from the movie Men in Black, another line that has that tends to work with well within the context of this. When Will Smith asks Tommy Lee Jones, why don't you tell people they're aliens? The response is, a person is smart. People are dumb, stupid, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. And the, the bigger the group seems to be, the more that mentality seems to take hold. Unfortunately, yes. Yes, it does. Hey, uh, Robert, can I ask for one small favor? Sure. Uh, I'm actually going to call back in on Skype real quick because I really prefer using that to using my speakerphone on my cell. Do you mind? Okay. No, go ahead. Okay. I'll introduce our right. topic. Uh, I'll get going. All right, see you in a second. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're talking about The Wizard of Oz here tonight. And, again, how it became a Thanksgiving tradition, I don't know. Anybody out there listening that knows, if you know me on Facebook or whatnot, post a message, I'll try and get to it. It just is at this point, and it will be for quite a while. We just have The Wizard of Oz at Thanksgiving. And I wanted to tackle The Wizard of Oz here today, not just because it was Thanksgiving, this last you know, yesterday, but also because The Wizard of Oz is one of those classic pieces of cinema and literature, if you've ever read the books, that just occasionally it'll crop up on shows like this. On sh uh, I mean, it won't show up on Long Road to Ruin just because it's not a movie series, but it's one of those that shows up from time to time, and it's good to talk about it. And uh, there's a good chance I'll wind up discussing this, either this movie or the, ser the book series again at a later date, because I don't want to just limit ourselves here to the 1938 or 36. I forget I forget if it's 38 or 36, but the Judy Garland version, which is a very uh, classic piece of cinema. 
sadly didn't do very well upon its initial release, but hey, that's the way some movies are. But one of the, you know, I talk here very frequently about how a villain is such an integral part of a great story. Whatever it happens to be, you know, whatever the story happens to be, whatever your villain's going to be, you need a really good one to kind of tie everything together. And as far as villains go, hang on, I, now I'm going to have to remember. Uh, do do where is it? Okay, Margaret Hamilton's Wicked Witch of the West in... Uh, the again the Judy Garland version of the Wizard of Oz is one of the better villains, one of the better ones of all time. I mean, she has she makes lists regularly. She has great lines. So whoever wrote the dialogue for the character did a very good job. She looks extraordinarily memorable, especially when you go from the stark black and white Kansas. And folks, that's not movie magic. Kansas actually is just black and white and Kansas shades of gray. But to go from that to, again, the land of color, and then you see the green skin with the you know, the kind of prototypical witch as we've come to visualize them. But it started with her. It started with Margaret Hamilton and the Wicked Witch of the West. And, Sean, since you're back now, I just want to kind of get where uh, your thoughts, where you're coming from. As far as just Margaret Hamilton's acting goes and the way the character was introduced and played out on screen. Mm. And I swallow a big mouthful of Skittles. <laughs> Yay, Skittles. They're fruity, oh. by God. <laughs> fruity, fruity. Wrestling, wrestling fans will get the reference. <laughs> anyway, um, now for for that period, yes, she is she is absolute perfect. Just pants pissingly scary to the kids to whom the audience is really directed. Um, as you said, the the makeup is great because everything in the land of Oz needs to stand out compared with the astonishingly accurate drabness. Um, and it really, really does. Right down to, right down to the witch having inexplicable green skin of all things. And it works also because you don't really need to explain the look all that much. You don't need to explain why the skin is green because, well, it's Oz. That's why. Um, she's malevolent, not really menacing. But what I always kind of liked about her was the fact that. She always had motivation. Uh, she really wasn't just strictly evil for the sake of being for the sake of being evil. She was evil because she was pissed because somebody done dumped a house on her kin. You don't. Hey, somebody do dropped a house on one of my brothers. I'm gonna be up in arms. In Oz, that's the line. And then stole her shoes too. I mean, come on. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that uh, that always kind of gets overlooked. Of course, is <laughs> the fact that. Woman, you stole the shoes off a dead woman. You had to expect there was going to be a response. You had to know something was coming here. But from yeah, from uh, from that to the yeah. flying monkeys to uh, to the damn menacing trees. Yeah, she has the evil trees. She has well, she also has the winky guards who are basically just you know stereotypical Russians. But released in the 1930s, it made sense to kind of you know put some caricatures as your bad guys. You know, and, and when you really think about it, it makes even more sense because it's somebody who can really screw with you without even having zip code. It's true. Yeah. But, yeah, and, I, I get, you know, you be, they kind of get away from her in Munchkinland, and everything's okay in the sense that the bad guy is gone. Glinda the Good Witch has rather blithely informed her to go away, and she acquiesced. <laughs> and then, you, you know, you just... Somewhere in the back of your mind, you're always just kind of hoping, you know, maybe they just won't run into her again. But then, no, they get to the city of Oz, and the man behind the curtain decides, I want you to kill the Wicked Witch of the West before I will grant your request, because you won't actually succeed, and that won't have to be revealed as a fraud. Which, face it, that's pretty hardcore for It is. I mean, well, it's even, ironically enough, it's even a little bit worse when you get into some of the early novels, because uh, if you've read... By the way, anybody out there, if you haven't read them and you go in expecting the movie for the, from the first book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, you are in for a stiff surprise, my friends. They are, there are some substantial differences. But within the first couple of books, it established that he took uh, the baby princess Ozma, who was the rightful ruler of the Emerald City, and took her to a witch to be transformed into something else so that he could rule the city of Oz, which was retconned later because 
Frank Baum was writing his books for children, and they didn't want the wizard to be evil. They wanted him to just kind of be bumbling. So, but hey, retconning, folks. We're comic fans. We know how bad it can get, and that's not the worst instance of it. Oh God, no. I mean, to, to put it in terms that that you and I would understand, this whole business of you got to go kill somebody before I'll help you. That is some Assassin's Creed or Mass Effect or Fallout shit, right? It uh, it is. <laughs> it was, uh, but and so again, they wind up going trying to kill her, and she's just she's got all the and you brought up the minions too, and you know a a villain with great evil minions is just that much better, and the fact that you know again flying monkeys and one of the immortal sequences from the movie is her standing at the window of her castle and urging her you know fly on you know go fly and catch them, and just the whole presentation of her as a character. One of the more complete dis- uh, showcases of villainy that, you, that you'll find in cinema, by and large. And one of the parts that gets overlooked frequently due to the fact that it's the Wicked Witch, but if you watch the beginning of that movie when they're in Kansas and Margaret Hamilton is just playing Mrs. Gulch, she's that evil neighbor everyone has had at some point who just won't stop complaining to the police about everything. And she shows up because she wants Dorothy's little dog Toto to be put down because it bit her. It didn't really bite her, but... And I don't know if that's worse or not, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Oh, come on. Toto's Toto's so good-hearted. Toto even lets a a bitch like that live, so... Uh, he He couldn't even find it in him to bite her. Yeah, you gotta kind of wonder, was Toto really just thinking you're not worth the trouble? <laughs> Could be. Or maybe I'd bite you, but nothing is washing the taste of this foulness out of my mouth? You know, he was pro- he had probably heard, he probably looked into the future and saw the fact that the King Cobra that bit Randy Savage died from poisoning a few days later and figured, you know, if biting Randy Savage would kill you, biting you would probably just be that much worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, biting you would probably burn me right on the spot and send my soul straight to hell. Yeah, but I just I can't put enough praise I feel on Margaret Hamilton and her ability to convey all of that. I mean, because and the characters are actually quite different. I mean, they're both the bad guys, but Mrs. Gulch is kind of the self-entitled, self-righteous, again, jackass neighbor that everyone has had at some point. But it's also at the same you know, again. You're understated as far as that goes. And then you have the grandiose, over-the-top, Wicked Witch of the West. And when she finally gets, when Dorothy throws a bucket of water on her of all things, her, you know, I'm melting as, again, and melting into the floor because water had touched her. It's, that goes down, actually, personally, as one of my favorite death scenes as far as villains go. And there are some good ones. But so I, I just to kind of go... To kind of stay on topic here, I mean, what's your takeaway from her being the wicked wit? You know, the evil, the, the evil antagonist for the entire, for the whole movie. I mean, because again, I said it before. You know, bad guys hold movies together, and her being there is kind of what holds that whole thing together in a lot of ways for me. You know, yeah, it kind of does. But what one of the things that always gets me about the Wizard of Oz is the fact that she is the quote unquote bad guy, the so-called villain of the whole thing. Look what she's surrounded with. She's surrounded with pretty much a corpse-robbing little bumpkin. It, it's true. I mean, we... Poor Dorothy. Wasn't even her fault that the thing fell on her, on her sister, but then, you know, she robbed the magic shoes, and we've all got something in our... I assume there's everyone has some family member who has something they want when they pass on. We don't all wish death on family members, but there's something that they have that, you know, when the time comes and you're well, I'd like you to give me that. And who wouldn't want magic shoes crusted with rubies? Well, not only not only that, but the backwoods little tramp was just sent on a... <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know, this also wasn't just, you know, she wasn't trying to, she wasn't actively hunting Dorothy throughout most of the film. Dorothy showed back up and... Oh, I'm sorry, but I have to kill you so I can get home. What? When did your life become that much more important than mine, you little tramp? No, you know what? Quite frankly, when it comes to the Wicked Witch, when you reach that point, okay, done playing defense. It it is in fact fuck you up time. And just for bringing a few, bringing some muscle to help you out, I'm going to make sure they suffer too. When you think of it that way, yeah, 
yeah, you know what? You do kind of understand the, where the witch is coming from a little bit. I mean, so I <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, you're you kind of root against her because you're supposed to, but you also don't want to sit there and really think about the movie too hard either because then all of a sudden you find yourself gradually starting to root for her. Well, I mean, you've also... That, that's the thing about some of these movies and you start thinking about them. It's like, wait a minute... I mean, The Wizard of Oz is nothing more than a shyster from Omaha, from Nebraska, who has been falsely leading these people, what I would assume to be to their inevitable ruin, because the guy has no sense of civic leadership. And doing it in the midst of the damn depression, no less. Have you no soul, sir? Yeah, you're in the, it's the bottom of the depression at this point. I mean, like, like things are not bad enough. I, at times like this, I'm always reminded of my favorite old-school ESPN commercial with... Uh, Cam Neely, where he asked the cameraman, you want to kick my dog while you're here, too? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you, know, you know what, though? Ahead, for some ahead. reason, for this being such an iconic story, it's really, and for it really being a pretty perfect movie, it's amazing how many times it's been adapted and told from new angles and kind of sequelized through the years. Oh, yeah, there's there are probably hundreds of variations of this particular story in be they you know plays movies television miniseries the whole nine yards there's a bunch of them and yet none of them have ever been able to kind of recapture the magic that went on in this one no um the whiz kind of comes close because come on i'll give you the whiz i was thinking more i mean this last year, it was either earlier this year or last year, they released, you know, Oz the Great and Powerful. And look what that did. I mean, nobody seemed to care for it, and that's not just because of James Franco and Mila Kunis, though I'm sure they didn't help. No. Uh, although, actually, you know, the, the Wiz is fun because, come on, it's Nipsey Russell and Michael Jackson. <laughs> how are you not going to okay, love Okay, yeah, again, there's fun. Yeah, how are you not going to love that? Um... However, you know, there is one that i got to admit that I did actually legitimately really like, and I thought it was a well-done take, and that's um, the one that came out a few years ago on Sci-Fi, uh, Tin Man. Really? You're going to enjoy You're going to throw that gauntlet down, huh? Oh, God. Are, are, are you going to come back to the discussion we had pre-show about the fact that... <laughs> no, no, I actually... No, no, I... Okay, my issue with Tin Man was actually not so much with Zoe Deschanel, even though I don't care much for her. It was more with the fact that they decided they had to Im- just impose this, I hate this phrase, mind you, but ev- but everyone will understand what I mean when I say it. They felt the need to impose this Tolkien-esque quest on what is supposed to be actually a very simple story. Yeah, and maybe it was a bit of a reach, maybe it was a gamble, but... You have to admit something, and that is that, number one, for it being a sci-fi movie, that is fucking restrained. Yeah. I mean, for, yeah. for those of you who've never seen sci-fi original, you know, miniseries or movies, there was a fair amount of restraint and quality that went into, uh, it's called again, it's called Tin Man, and it was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it still is. Uh, it still is, I believe. In fact, it's in my list. I meant for streaming, because I saw it on their streaming. Well, yeah, Well, yeah, I know. So do I. Oh, sweet. But you know, there's... I like that for... I enjoyed elements of that presentation and that version of uh, the story. I just... I didn't care much for the fact that... I don't know. I haven't, it's been a while since I've seen it, so forgive me if I get a couple of things backwards in here. I don't mind redeemable villains as far as going for the big face turn. I, I don't like... It wasn't their fault they were mind-controlled the whole time. And maybe that goes back to being a comic fan and how many times we've seen great moments kind of retconned away for the sake of various people's conscience or whatnot. No, wait, Green Lantern wasn't actually... It wasn't his fault. He was being controlled by by Parallax. It wasn't actually him. Or, you know, no, it wasn't really Jean Grey who wiped out a planet. It was the Phoenix entity. It wasn't her fault at all. You, You tread lightly when it comes to me and Green Lantern. Hey, look, I don't dislike that story arc. I'm just, I don't like the fact that we just, they feel the need to arbitrarily undo elements from the past because it makes, well, because it makes, you know, whoever's in charge feel better about it. Well, in that, in that And there I bring up, Spider-Man must be single. Yes, there's that, but I would also point out to you that 
when Jeff Johns took over, he didn't really try to retcon any of that. In fact, I was from what I from what I've read of his run, and I admit that I'm only part way into it so far. As he restored Hal Jordan to the Green Lantern Corps, one of the things he actually did admirably really well was he kind of continued holding him responsible. He didn't really try to brush everything off or pretend that everybody was going to be totally understanding because he was in the throes of Parallax having corrupted his mind at the behest of Sinestro. Uh, I, I, I agree uh, it's well done. It's more the underlying principle I object. Yeah, and, and I would admit that is a fault of this, but it's something that when it comes to Tin Man, I'm willing to forgive because... Well, it, the other thing that bothers me, I mean, you, the other thing that kind of gets me about that is you have a perfectly, you have two other perfectly serviceable, awesome villains that go on. You have... I forget his name, but the guy Neil McDonough feels compelled to track down and kill for killing his family. Yeah. And the actual evil witch who had brainwashed the older sister. It's kind of like you said a second ago. Sometimes you just don't want to think about it too hard. And in this case, <laughs> also, what, I, what, I, what I liked about it was, number one, visually, I think it's... I think it is. It was, I, I love the visuals from that. Uh, yes. Visually, it is... Everything you could ask a contemporary Wizard of Oz to, which, again, considering that we're talking about the Sci-Fi Channel, is just all the more admirable. But also the fact that you're going to hate me for this, um, I might. <laughs> Deschanel as Dorothy was really surprisingly fitting. It's, I mean, she doesn't over, she doesn't overdo the performance quite like she does in about the first handful of episodes of New Earth. Um, it's kind of... You know, I almost want to... I, I, I want to kind of liken it a little bit to Elf or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as being kind of similar to that, but at the same time, I realize I'm being redundant because, yes, it occurs to me that's more or less the same character. <laughs> yeah, but, just a bit. But, you know, kind of the, kind of the whole wide-eyed thing that thing that she plays in almost every role, which obviously makes sense because, dear God, those things are indeed the size of baseballs. It works. Occasionally, you just find a role where somebody just naturally fits right in. They don't have to stretch that much for it, and you just kind of want to enjoy it while it lasts. Kind of kind of like watching Will Smith in Ollie. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, you, you want to just kind of sit back and just sort of just let them have their moment and just enjoy it with. So, and actually, I'm starting to stand corrected because I'm actually scrolling through my Netflix queue right now, and I don't see Tin Man on here anymore, unless I'm not far enough into it. Uh, they might have taken it off down from streaming. I think they will still mail it to you, but I don't... Oh, nope, I, nope, nope, here it is. Oh, sweet. It still streams. But yeah, to everybody listening, if you have, a, if you have some time to kill and you want to give that a shot, there are worse ways to spend some time it's not a bad event and it's not bad at kind of carrying on the spirit of the original and that's a really tough thing to do especially when you get and by point of comparison and i don't think this is too far off base here i mean obviously there's some differences but if you compare the original Gene Wilder-led uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with the Tim Burton, Johnny Depp-led monstrosity that was released a few years ago, you begin to see how difficult it is to actually legitimately maintain the spirit of something that came before you while going in a slightly different direction. And so close. that's not I just do. because I don't like Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. <laughs> So close. I knew you were going to go with a certain Tim Burton movie. You just didn't go with the one that I thought you were. Where'd you think I was going? I thought you were going to go with Alice in Wonderland. Oh, don't get me started. Well, no, no, no. But that, but that is a good opposite comparison. It is. It, it is. It's the same type of thing. Because this is, this is obviously bending the story. It's modernizing it a little bit. It's, it's, it's putting a, a new twist on it. In a way... The Alice in Wonderland equivalent, as far as a good adaptation, would be, if you're a gamer out there, you might have played Alice Madness or, or American McGee. Okay, American McGee kind of, kind of 
does to Alice in Wonderland what the makers of Tin Man do to The Wizard of Oz. They manage to do their own thing with it, but still stay pretty true to the heart of the story. And even you said yourself, the Oz books get pretty damn dark. Oh, yeah. And the, if you want... I, and this is one of those things that I'm... I don't mind dovetailing into Roald Dahl a little bit here, too, because he wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But when you read the source material, it's actually pretty dark. I mean, if you want, in terms of just darkness, a more accurate adaptation of the world of Oz, the 1985 movie Return to Oz is actually, in terms of content, much more in line with what Bomb was writing. Yeah, um... And that movie is downright terrifying at times. You have a woman who wears different heads for crying out loud. If you decide to watch that with the kids, dress them in dark pants. Yeah. There's some scary stuff that goes on in that. Again, I, I just mentioned the... There's a queen who is a, adopts the name of Mombi which is actually a different character when you get into the books, but she has different heads that are all still alive and sentient, and she takes them off when she goes to bed. And that's that's why I liked Tin Man, is because it it did take things in that kind of appropriately dark sort of direction. And actually, that's why I think that if Tim Burton hadn't been under the, kind of under under the thumb of Disney, so to speak, when he made Alice in Wonderland, and he maybe made that movie earlier in his career when he could get a little bit more grim and twisted without a, without a single fuck falling from the sky, quite frankly, I think we would have maybe gotten something maybe just a little bit more like American McGee's Alice or like Madness Returns. Because, likewise, if you've ever really read Alice in Wonderland... There's some screwed up stuff. That is messed the fuck up. Um... So I really, and actually, I kind of went into it with my hopes up a little bit that maybe he was going to be given the freedom to go off in that direction and that he was actually going to maybe be a little bit more true to the source material. And as I say it, I realize I'm talking about Tim Burton, and I realize yes, you are. I sound to have possibly expected that. Dear God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There, there may be self-flagellation in my future for that one. <laughs> because I, I, of course, am, am the one who has constantly said, Tim Burton Bingo, my favorite game. Easiest thing in the world to win. But <laughs> but that's not the only direction, really, that The Wizard of Oz has been taken in. Because more recently, uh, there's a whole generation that, believe it or not, has is probably more fond of and connected to... Wicked than the actual story it's based on. That's true. And I actually haven't seen Wicked. I, neither have I. I've, I. I've heard vaguely what it's what it's about. That it's basically the Wicked Witches story. Well, it's the or, I believe it's the origin story of all the four witches. Is my understanding. But oh, let it? me okay. find out. Yeah, I. I'm, I'm not much of a. I have. I have a few shows that. Well, that I was in when I was in high school. Um, and a few hoop selections I'm particularly fond of, being a very Epicurean music guy myself. But I can't really say that that's one that I've gone and dug into just because I never really felt the inclination. I, I think The Wizard of Oz is a fascinating creation, especially L. Frank Baum's original work. I just, I'm just not really all that invested but yeah it's you know mark radlitz was on this show a while uh i think my last one actually when we or the one before that when we talked about darth vader and he brought up that there are certain be they movies or bands or you know, events that mean a great deal more to people who were around when they first broke than to people yeah. who have discovered them subsequently. He brought up Star Wars because I'm not a, personally I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. I enjoy them, but I'm not I'm not one of those people who you would see on a documentary like The People versus George Lucas getting up in arms over the direction he chose to take them. I don't like it, but I don't but I'm not emotionally invested in it that much. And The Wizard of Oz is one of those movies I feel that to like the generation before yours and mine and you're a little bit older than I am, but to people who are in there, you know, there's a long gap, but say 50s to 70s right about now, 
you know, Wizard of Oz was it. You know, that's their kind of cultural phenomenon, and they and they are extremely invested in it. And it also kind of shows that you know, if you're going to kind of revisit something that beloved, you better know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because again, I brought it up just a moment ago, but because you get something like Oz the Great and Power or the Great and Terrible, I forget what the exact title was, and if it's not done properly, it's it's not just bad, it's worse because it's associated with something that's so good. I mean, the same way that a bunch of the Hellraiser sequels might be considered passable if they weren't attached to the Hellraiser legacy huh. for the horror yeah. fans out there. Uh, yeah, by all means, let's uh, let's drudge up that festering skeleton, shall we? Um, I'm just making a point that if you're going to tackle something like that and you're not adequately prepared, it you you know you don't just break even with something like that. You fail or you fall flat on your face in manure. Oh no no no! And that's and that's one of the tricky things about adaptation. Anytime you're working with a property for which people have their preconceived notions, their expectations. You have to be very, very careful, number one, that you recognize what's truly essential and recognize that although, yes, you know, we can make arguments all up and down that Hollywood doesn't have to just appeal to the fanboys out there, you damn better recognize that, yes, that is going to be your core audience. Yeah, whether you want to admit it or not, deny it all up and down. A big reason you're making this movie at all, a big reason you're so keen to adapt it, is because an audience that's partial to the story in another medium was so rabid for it. And you caught wind of that, and you decided to go and experiment with it. Well, okay, fair play. That can work out well for everybody. But you had better respect the people who made it popular enough for it to be a viable commercial property in the first place. Otherwise, God, where do we begin the list of examples where that went wrong? It's the whole reason why, I mean, when I hear, when I hear Michael Fassbender, who's starring in the forthcoming Assassin's Creed movie, just laugh off, Oh, no, I've never played any of the Assassin's Creed games at all. I don't even own a game system. Yeah, Makes you nervous. Makes me nervous? That was the death rattle of my hopes that this is going to be any good whatsoever. I have a little faith in Fassbender. You know I mean, what? he's a quality actor, and more. I think in some cases, more importantly, if an actor isn't you know, that up on the backstory, it falls more on the director to kind of work with them and, and you know, impart that particular vision. And if I could you know, maybe make a... If, okay, one of my favorite actors... In the world right now is Hugo Weaving. Loved oh, the guy, loved his work for a long time. But when his, well, I'm trying to remember exactly how this went down. When he was cast to voice Megatron in the Transformers franchise, and there was an uproar from the fanboys because you brought back Peter Weller to do Optimus. Why not go with the old Megatron voice from the cartoon? And well, because it doesn't translate that well, it's grating to the ears, people. Yeah. And I loved the cartoon as a kid. Don't you know? Don't jump down my throat for that one. His, and his response was something like, "No, nah, I didn't know there was an uproar. It's just a voice role to me." You know, it could have. And you tack that on with director Michael Bay, who just sees explosions and dollar signs, and you get kind of what's wrong with those movies. Oh, exactly. That that is a big and. And again, that, that's one of those things where I understand how when you're adapting, you're going to be anxious to try out these ideas in your head that you just can't hold back because you're so sure that they're going to work. You're so sure that the results are going to be spectacular. Well and good when you're making your own move. When you're amid the genesis of your own intellectual property, that's one thing. However, when you're toying with somebody else's no, there is a certain justifiable expectation that you're going to color within the fucking line. You know, not that you're going to look at the lines on the page, study them clearly, and then take a runny shit on it and draw a smiley face. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of angst that uh, we have over those particular movies. Well, right, and it's, and it's gone wrong a lot of ways. And again, no, folks, I will not accept any criticism that I'm unfairly beating up on him because he's arguably one of the worst fucking offenders in it. Tim Burton has never fucking learned this. Never, ever, ever, ever fucking ever. 
he got it right pretty much one time. One fucking time only, and that was when he made Sweeney Todd. I didn't mind. Eh, my issue with that is the fact that he felt compelled to cast Johnny Depp and Helen Bonham Carter, but... Well, okay, yeah, we can pretty much accept at this point that, as I've said many times over, the day Johnny Depp evolves to sprout tits and a badge, Helen Bonham Carter is getting kicked to the curb. Yeah, that's, uh, that's she, very true. That woman is gone. But also, you got to throw in there the fact that there was a lot of direct Stephen Sondheim influence. Um, I, I think that's who it is. I think it's Sondheim. Yeah, Stephen uh, Sondheim wrote Sweeney okay. Todd. Yeah. Um, again, there was a lot of direct influence on, influence on that. So he was kind of only be able to go so far off the reservation. Then, on the other hand, you have the times when you hand him the reins to say, oh, Batman. Dark Shadow. Here, here's Dark Shadow. Here's Batman. Go do, go, don't make the... Uh, the and you know what? Quite frankly, he got lucky making Batman for the first Batman for one reason and one reason only. Because Jack Nicholson's awesome. Well, okay, yeah, Jack, Nichol- Jack Nicholson's awesome. But the main overarching reason of all of it was the fact that he was able to translate the best things out of the one and only comic he has ever read and understood and actually managed to somehow get it right one time only and parlay that into a good story that had all uh, all the best visual stylings of the killing joke. Yeah. No? But, I, I mean, okay, we don't want to want to kind of steer this back on track here. Well, hold on. The, the, the only other thing I was going to make I think I was going to kind of close that on is on the other hand look at a movie like and this is one that people my age are probably going to get look at the last unicorn okay the movie was written and pretty much conceived by the same guy who wrote the book so you had somebody there who clearly understood what the story should be like when it translates to screen and granted it's not perfect but there's so many reasons why that holds up so well with Sony. And it's something that it's hard to do sometimes when you are a second-hand party who's handed someone else's work to just intuitively know what that, know what that is. And it's why I would really almost rather they never try remaking this again. Yeah, I would be perfectly happy, again, if they never really... I mean... And to the credit of people involved, they have never tried to remake The Wizard of Oz. They've done other stuff within that world, and again, Tin Man is just a, a further continuation within the realm of Oz and within that story. But it's such a, again, it's such a difficult thing to get right in terms of, a you know, just, just in general. It's, I mean, I go out on a limb and say even some of the later uh, books that Frank uh, Baum released were just, I and mean, some of them were pretty blatant cash grabs. He was in financial difficulty, so he wrote an Oz book. Well, and you know what? That's just the way it is. There are sometimes some creators out there who only have one great story in them. That's, it's true. That, that, that's, all, that's all they got. I mean, as, and I say this as somebody who really likes Unbreakable. M. Night Shyamalan, he had the sixth sense. That's about it. Um, you could argue that all, that, that all Lucas ever had was the original trilogy. That's it. You could argue he only had the first two. <laughs> uh, yeah, but as someone who kind of likes Jedi, I'm not going to go there. I'm not anti-Jedi. I'm just the argument can be made. No, it, it, yes, it can certainly. Just like I could certainly say that it's wrong. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the Wizard of Oz that that really was Bond's. It it was his opus. It was really his his lifetime like and. I don't know. I mean, at this point, well enough should really be left alone, especially after Disney just tried to do their own take on it, and it fell pretty solidly on its face. Which is kind of sad because it's one of those stories that, you know, like we mentioned, it can be updated well. It's just so hard to do it, and if it's that difficult, it's people aren't willing to kind of take up the challenge. I think it's. I think it's more so you can do it but you have to have the restraint to not modify it to the point where what you end up getting is the cat in the hat. Ugh, let's not talk about Mike Myers. No, 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 no. But, uh, but that's a fair point, though. 
And it is. I just don't like Mike Myers. Well, no, no, Robert. None of us like Mike Myers. We all realize that ceiling is a lot lower than we thought it was. But, I mean, you could modernize. It, because it really doesn't necessarily take all that much for it to translate. You just have to resist the urge to try to make it, pardon the term, relatable to today's audiences and, and try to keep it as timeless as you possibly can. But even then, you're still stuck with the catch-22 of, well, the original was pretty much timeless. So what yeah. are we... It is. It's, it, people still watch it. You know, it's on television right now, I would assume, and people will tune in to watch it because it's that good. And damn it, if anybody out there, let, let Robert or I know if you've got any form of explanation as to how as to how this became so associated with Thanksgiving. Yeah, I would really love to know that because I can't figure out how or when. Like I said, when it first became when people when they started broadcasting the Wizard of Oz on free television, initially it was there. It was the Christmas staple for a long time. They re, they released it. Dur- they showed it during Christmas time until you started getting really good Christmas movies that you could show in that time slot instead. And so yeah, anybody out there, homework for anyone who bothers listening to this. I want to know if anyone can find out when and why the Wizard of Oz is associated with Thanksgiving. It might just be because it's another awesome kind of epic in the same vein as Gone with the Wind, which is, as far as I know, that's been Thanksgiving tradition since it was released. I mean, that's how long ago I believe that's been associated with the holiday. And that's another one where I go, why? I don't know. I, I wish I did. It's like, well, it's an emotional movie. We can't. Sh- we've got all these great Christmas movies. We can't show it during Halloween. Thanksgiving falls in between. I mean, that that's kind of my assumption there. That's like if I say that for Valentine's Day, I'm going to make a tradition out of watching Rounders. <laughs> Go for it. Actually, I've heard. No, oh, I've heard them too. Especially with my being single right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, they released Silence of the Lambs on Valentine's Day. I mean. Maybe that should be a Valentine's Day tradition. Stop drilling, you have struck oil. <laughs> oh, just... But, yeah, so... Yeah, bit of trivia for you. That was actually released on Valentine's Day in, uh... I forget the year. Let's see, like, 95, 96. But, yeah, they marketed it as a date movie. It's a horror movie. Go take your dates to it. They will scream and grab your arm. <laughs> they did. Okay. But, yeah, just... When you put it that way, yeah, that, that almost kind of makes sense, but... Man, do I do I really want to bother asking how many it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again fetishes that might have birthed? <laughs> no, I don't. That's one of those questions that I don't think we ever need. You know, you know what? Uh, on a day when a friend of mine just informed me earlier that Paula Dean was given an offer to guest star in a porn movie, I th- there are mysteries of this world that have been solved. Amen. <laughs> Uh, that's going to wrap up this edition. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Sean, what do you got to plug this week? Read my column over in the Music Zone every Sunday night slash Monday morning, depending on where you are and how late you're staying up. Uh, give Life Back to Music coming up this Tuesday. Start December. My four-week look at the four studio albums and one soundtrack legacy of Daft Punk. Uh also, this coming this coming Tuesday. Did I just say my column comes out on Tuesday? You did. It's Monday, uh, but I, I'm tired, and there's no freaking way this beer is going to my head that quickly. Um, anyway, uh, this uh, this coming Tuesday, we are back on Long Road to Ruin at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Myself and the returning man, the returning mandated reporter Mark Rodelich, back from taking three weeks off while Mark does him a whole lot of metal hammer of doom. And we are going to be kicking off what is going to be a blistering December with the first of two looks at the Die Hard franchise. We're going to be taking it, taking a look at one, two, and three this Tuesday. The good ones. Yep. And then the next week, Die Hard was all going so well. Uh <laughs> After that, before Mark and I take almost two full weeks off to recharge our batteries, uh, it's a look at Disney's The Santa Claus Trilogy, um, inexplicably proving that, yes, 
Tim Allen can be charming when he wants, when he really, really tries. But hey, you, you're looking at two of my favorite Christmas movies of all time, right there. The first, the original Die Hard and the first Santa Claus. The and you know what? Those are both outstanding. They they really, really are. Um, and I'm happy that we're getting around to doing those two. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy that we're get that we're getting those out of the way while Mark and I are still. Are, are still able just ourselves to talk about them because coming up he's going to be taking off for a few more months. Again. Yes, he is. <laughs> Which means that you and I got to start deciding on six weeks of show. I'm not six weeks, three months. Yeah, three months worth of shows. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Maybe we can finally get Lambert on to try and defend the Transformer. I did ask Mark if he'd want to be in on that one, but I I wouldn't be entirely opposed to that. I was also thinking we got to get in at least one good horror franchise. Well, we got one. At least, at least. I mean, we. I mean, something like Saw, Halloween. Uh, we're saving Poltergeist because Mark wants to do that one. So that one's off. Well, Poltergeist, well, Poltergeist is the type of horror movie that... Okay, for those of you who don't know, Mark is not a big fan of horror. Poltergeist right. is the type of horror movie that fa- people who aren't fans of horror can still watch and enjoy. While still being slightly scared by it. It's one of those that, uh, I think my mom's the one who told me this, you're scared of it, you know, it's scary while you're in the theater, and then it stops being scary when you leave. And people yeah. who don't like to be scared are fine with that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we could always take a month and devote it to the Saw movie. Oh, boy, we could. <laughs> oh, you, you sound like you're cringing already, almost like we're going to have to do a good movies and bad movies split between these. For my money... That's even a worse split than the Hellraiser movie. <laughs> Hellraiser, you had you had you had two or you had what we figure you had three and a half, maybe four good Hellraiser movies. I check out of Saw after two. The other seven are just no. Oh, see now, I think I think three is actually still pretty good. I think if they had ended after three, that would have been just fine. They should have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they should have. Uh, in my opinion, six is the very worst. Yeah, but I, that also bugs me because I'm such a huge fan of the first two. We we will come up with something. I mean, I don't want to do entire horror all three months. I want to. Oh no, no, we won't do that. But but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll work a horror franchise in there somewhere. I mean, come on, we got we got six Leprechaun movies and a WWE films prequel slash remake on the way, starring Hornswoggle. Yeah, yeah, there is that. All right, let me. <laughs> Get my plugs out of the way. The sad thing is, I enjoyed seeing it. it, it don't get me wrong; it's not great, but you know, for what it is, I could enjoy. It was a psychotic cane making ready to masturbate on somebody. <laughs> no, uh, I almost made a Michael Hayes joke there, but no one would get it. <laughs> oh dear God! One of these, one uh, of these days, one of these days, we are going to devote just like an entire. An entire month or two month stretch of Long Road to Ruin to WWE films. Ugh. And discuss that there is no high water mark. <laughs> hey, one of these times, we're going to do the Marine. Ugh. I'd really rather we didn't. I'd really rather it wasn't done. <laughs> Poor Robert Patrick. They did not pay him enough. I don't know what he made for that first one, but it was not enough. <laughs> All right, let me get my plugs out of the way here. They'll wrap up. Um,. Locked in the Guillotine goes live every Friday in the 411 MMA zone. I go over news, I review and preview fight cards. This week, there's news, including Rich Franklin's retirement, uh, the unfortunate, uh, now passing at the time he wasn't, he hadn't passed on yet, but the passing of Shane Del Rosario. Breaking down tomorrow's Ultimate Fighter Season 18 finale, which I could not possibly care less about. Speaking of the Ultimate Fighter finale 18 finale, I will be doing coverage on the 411 MMA Zone. If you don't want to watch it and just want to read my descriptions of what's going on, which may in fact be better than the actual action at times, it's over there. So give it a so check it out. I'll have a link to all the podcasts in the Right Listen Broadcasting Network if you want to listen to something else while you're reading. You can hear me every Sunday on the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, 9 p.m. Eastern where Mark Radulich, myself, Pat Mullen, and Jeff Harris talk about all of the happenings in the MMA world. It's good times. Uh, 
starting next week here on Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, assuming all parties are amenable, I would, I'm planning tentatively on having Mark Radlich on for a multi-week look at Disney villains, in part because Frozen was released and in part because I don't know when Mark will be available again to podcast, and I want to talk with someone about... I have a deep and abiding affection for the animated Disney movies, and I love most of their villains, so... I'm hoping to get Mark on here, and the two of us will spend a couple of episodes, maybe even three, talking about Disney bad guys, and it should be awesome. So please tune in for that in the coming weeks. If uh, if if Mark can't make it, count me in. Just say the word. All right, I'll let you know. That's going to wrap up this edition of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy for Sean Comer, who brings life back to music, even if some of it's quasi-electro, and I have very little patience for the stuff without a bass line. I am Robert Winfrey, and I will leave you with the immortal words of Tony Montana. I'll see you guys next week. So say goodnight to the bad guys.